Amen, amen. It's good to see you all this morning. My name is Andrew Storms. I'm one of the elders here at Antioch Community Woo! Church. I got my family here this morning with me. We always are here. Uh, Elena, and then I have four wonderful children. I have Drew and Gracie and Grant and Lincoln. They're all six and under, so life is wonderful. Life is full. And I'm always so privileged and so honored to be up here and get the chance to speak with you guys. Um, good thing or bad thing, I don't know, but you got me for the next two weeks. We're giving these the pastoral guys a little bit of a break. So I'm going to kind of piggyback off of the series that we've been in for the last four to five weeks. It's talking about equipping the saints. And we have gone through different studies and different passages to explore what does it mean to be equipped and what are some tools that we need to go out and to live our daily lives. And today I'm going to kind of dig into some revelations and some things, but I want us to understand the value of being able to read and comprehend the Word of God. So that's where we're going to go today inside of this, uh, this, this message. And, you know, I don't, I don't claim to be a Bible scholar. I've never been to seminary. I've never had any sort of formal training when it comes to the scriptures, but I know this much, that the word of God is alive and it is active and it is sharper than any double-edged sword. It says that it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And that excites me because I want it to excite you that the word of God is so real and it's so precious and sometimes we just skim over it, but he wants us to take an in-depth look and not only how to read the scripture, but to see some revelations that he wants to show us this morning. It's going to be a fascinating time. But to do that, we're going to kind of zoom out a little bit today. And we're going to take what I like to call a 30,000 foot, foot view of your life and where God has you currently on your journey of life. What has he called you to? And how is he going to get you from where you are to where he wants you to be? Where is your destiny? What is your final destination, and how does he get you there? What I love about scripture, though, is it proves to us, and it shows that you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, we actually all have the exact same destiny. Did you know that? That's what it says in Romans 8, 29. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So we all actually have the exact same destiny. It's to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if we're to be conformed to him, his image, would it not make sense that if we're on the same journey, that we should take a look at his life and see how did he progress from the time he was an infant to the time he died on the cross and resurrected where he became the fulfillment of the promise? Shouldn't we kind of mirror his life? And that's what I want to look at this morning. We know that God is a God of pattern. He's a God of principle, and he's established things inside of the scripture. That's what he wants to show us today. But to look at the life of Jesus, we're going to go somewhere a little bit different today. We're actually going to go back to the Old Testament to discover the journey of Jesus. You know, some of you may look at this and say, the, the, old, the old Testament, you know, I, that, that's old covenant. I, I thought we were in the new covenant. You know, I, I don't think that's really valid, but I want to show you something that Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 52. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law, the law was the Old Testament, is what they had known prior to him. Every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Could it be that inside of the Old Testament, 
right there in front of us are some hidden treasures that maybe are so simple and so plain that when we show them today, we'll wonder how did we ever miss that. Does anybody want to go on a journey today to find him in the Old Testament? Well, I don't think Jesus really talked about the Old Testament. Well, in Luke chapter 24, we find the story of him on the road to Emmaus. It's literally the day he has been resurrected from the dead. He has come to, to bring us our salvation in the, in the newness of life. And as he's walking with these guys, they don't even recognize him. And I would think if I were Christ in that moment, when I'm like, hey guys, it's me, I would start talking about how I turned the water into wine, or maybe how I raised Lazarus from the dead, or maybe how I had gone to the cross just three days before. But to reveal himself, what he says in verse 27, it says, and beginning with Moses and with all of the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Through the Old Testament, really, the Old Covenant, but he's showing us that there might be something there that we've never seen before. So he speaks of himself in the Old Testament, but is it important for us to read the Old Testament, to know these things? Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse number 14, they're talking about the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. And Paul says that their minds were hardened. He said, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. There's a veil over our eyes. It says, because only through Christ is that veil taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. I have prayed for you this week, myself included, that the veil that has been over our eyes too long will instantly be removed, and you will see the pattern and the way that God has set up the Old Testament to reveal himself in deeper ways than we have ever seen before. Amen? He wants to do that because he wants to bring out new treasures. He wants to bring out old treasures. It's this fascinating God that we serve. He's not a surface-level God, but he goes deep, and he's going to show himself so real to us this morning. We're going to look at a four-step pattern, a four-step process that you are on in your journey that he is going to illuminate to you as a treasure to you to give you some clarification, that 30,000-foot view. So instead of just guessing where you are in God, he's going to highlight and show you where on this path of life he actually has you. If you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 12. We're going to look at a story from the Old Testament that I am certain is familiar to some, but perhaps new to others. Beginning in verse number one of Exodus 12, it says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Verse 7, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. Picking up in verse number 12, it says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, 
and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Verse 13, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. If you're familiar with this story, it's the children of Israel. They're enslaved, they're in bondage. They have been in Egypt for 430 years. There's nobody living that was alive when they came into slavery. This is all the people have known. They've been promised that they would be redeemed and that there were some things that could happen, that they would be taken from bondage into the promised land. These people knew that, but they've never seen it come to pass. And now here comes Moses on the scene. We don't have time to get into his whole story, but eventually he comes and he speaks to Pharaoh in Egypt, the leader, and he says, hey, you've got to let my people go. And Pharaoh, through this whole story, says, I'm not doing that. And God sends the plagues. We learned about these in Sunday school. And there's the darkness, the locusts, the frogs, the blood, uh, the water's turning into blood there in the river. And finally, to have enough, it's the 10th plague. And he says, I'm going to come and I'm going to destroy and kill the firstborn of every man and the firstborn of every beast. But the way that we get around that, the way that we don't receive death into our lives is we have to realize that these people, the children of Israel, had to take a pure and spotless lamb. And they had to sacrifice that lamb. They had to eat the parts of the lamb. And the part we read showed that they had to cover their doorposts with the blood. And that way, when death came, it simply just passed over, and they didn't receive death. In this journey of life, the first step that you must take is you must acknowledge that the lamb has purchased your freedom. We see that inside of our lives that there's no way we can ever get out of bondage. There's no way that slavery will ever lose its hold on us until we have acknowledged the pure and spotless lamb, the lamb of Jesus Christ, that he has come to purchase our freedom. That's where we see redemption. We see salvation right there in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is a picture. It's a shadow. It's a type of what he does for us inside of our lives here in the New Testament. Did these stories happen? Absolutely, 100% but we have to have the veil removed in Christ and see that he's trying to show us a pattern that he wants us to see to bring some clarification into our lives. In Exodus chapter 13, beginning in verse 17, the story continues. It says that when Pharaoh now let the people go, because he, he, he didn't want this, there was wailing all night from all these infants and all these firstborns. They, they had died, and Pharaoh said, enough, send them. Verse 17, when he let them go, he said, God did not lead the Israelites by the way of the Philistines, although that was near, for God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Verse 18, but God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. I can just see myself as a young Christian, or perhaps some of you, and you've experienced that blood of the lamb salvation moment. You're like, man, I'm free. I get to go, and we start following God, and he's taken us every direction. And we see in Exodus 14, it, we realize the story that Pharaoh has this aha moment, like, what did I just do? I just let these millions of people go. They're the ones that are our slaves. We've had them for all these years. What was I thinking? And so what he does, he takes 600 of his best chariots. He gets all of his warriors, all of his horsemen. They said, man, guys, I made a mistake. Let's go get these Israelites. We got to come after them. This whole time, unbeknownst to them, they're walking, they're celebrating, hey, we're free, 
And all of a sudden, they start hearing this sound coming from behind them. And they're wondering, what is that? What is this noise coming? And look what it says in Exodus 14, verse number 10. It says, when Pharaoh drew near, he's coming after them. The people of Israel lifted up their eyes. Behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there's no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. He has taken them up to the Red Sea, to this border, and they turn around, and here comes their past. Here comes everything that's after them with everything, the chariots, the horsemen, and these guys are literally just scared out of their minds. Have you ever noticed that, that a new believer, it's not what lies in front of them that gives them problems, it's the stuff that's in their past? Do you see that here in the scripture that he's showing us that it's the old enemy that's coming out? God said, I'm not going to take you by way of the Philistines. You're not, you're not ready for that. You would look at that and you would just you would melt. So they're, they're celebrating and all of a sudden their past comes behind them. Well, I thought, I thought you set me free. God, I, I said I would give my life to you. I thought it was just going to be all easy. And you look and man, it's not one enemy. It's the whole crew. And they are coming after your life. They're coming to kill you, steal everything you have and destroy you. We see the pattern of our own lives right here, that, that fear that comes. And unfortunately, because of an ignorance of understanding the scripture, we see many young Christians fall away. So I used to serve God, but I just, I couldn't shake my past. I just couldn't, there was nothing I could do with it. And so I have to ask, you know, what, why, why that way? Why don't they just go a different way? But we have to understand that God is wise and it's God who is leading them right up to the edge of the sea. So they complained to Moses. If you know the rest of this part of the story, it's very simple. The Lord gives Moses instruction. He says, stretch out your staff. And he said, watch what I'm about to do. And we know this story that the overnight, the, the Red Sea begins to part and he creates a way out of no way. He protects them momentarily from the Egyptian army with a cloud. And they, they walk through these millions of people. They walk through across this Red Sea on dry ground. And as they get through, they, they turn around and they look, and now the cloud is leading and it's guiding them, but they see the Egyptian army and they see these guys that are coming after them. And so now the question is, well, what, what do we do with that? In Exodus chapter 14, verse 26 through 28, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea, and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. Another version says that not one of them survived. So what does this have to do with our journey? Journey step one is we have to acknowledge that the Lamb has purchased our freedom. Our enemy's coming behind, it's chasing us. And we find ourselves walking through this physical water for the Israelites, and now comes the enemy and he covers them over with the water. Interesting. So step one, acknowledge lamb has purchased your freedom. Step two, your past is buried when you choose to walk through baptism. 
Have you ever seen that that's what that is, is baptism that these guys are walking through, that the enemy that was behind is now cut off? I think we pass baptism off too simply, and we say that it's just an outward sign of an inward change. We just want to profess our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have not understood that it is there by design to cut off your past. I think sometimes we get in a boat and we try to go back on the other side of the Red Sea and meet up with our old enemies. Sometimes we're ignorant and we do that. But the Lord says, if you have walked through baptism, he said, I have given you that power, that angle to cut the enemy off from your life. And it's all of them. All those ones from the past, any addiction you had, any alcoholism, anything that you have struggled with, he said, if you will just acknowledge the lamb and receive the baptism into the Lord Jesus Christ, I will cut the enemy off. Can we just say amen to God for doing that? The lamb has purchased our freedom. We've chosen to be baptized. And now we pick up the story again. And the, the Israelites find themselves now on the other side of the Red Sea, and they are in the wilderness. One of the most dry places around, and there's just seemingly going through the motions. Like, what do we do now? And it actually, if you know the story, it takes them 40 years of wandering around in this dry place, asking the Lord, what is going on? I thought you took us out of Egypt. You promised us this great land in front of us, and all we're doing this generation is just spinning our wheels, and we're going around. Yes, he's providing manna. Yes, he's giving them quail to eat, all these different things. But they have to question, what, what are we doing here? You know, sometimes we look at our wilderness, the dry places in our lives, and we, we see it, and we, we curse it, or we come against it. It's, it's part of the process, guys. We have to go through the wilderness. But sometimes it's however long you want to stay. Sometimes that's up to you. Sometimes we see provision of God. We say, hey, well, God's provided for me. This must be where he wants me to be. And he's trying to get us through the wilderness into our promised land. So we have to ask, well, why does he take us into the wilderness in the first place? Why can't we just cross the Red Sea and go directly into whatever he's called us to do? Well, look what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. This is towards the end of the days. They've spent these 40 years, and the Lord begins to speak. And look what he says. He says, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that your Lord swore to give your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Wow. Verse 3, and he humbled you, and he let you hunger, and he fed you with manna, which you didn't even know, and your fathers didn't even know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. There in those three verses, he is explaining to us why he has taken you into the wilderness, specifically that he's got to humble you. He's got to show you what's inside of your heart. You know what the children of Israel did? They complained. That's what they did for about 40 years. He had to wipe out an entire generation, save a few just so he could rid them of all the complaining. I just want to go back to Egypt. It was easier. Well, yeah, it was easier. You were fed, but you were in slavery. You were in bondage. But I'm still going to provide. I'm going to give you manna. I'm going to give you quail. I'm going to provide water. But I'm trying to humble you. I'm trying to show you that you can't just live by all those things, but you've got to live by every word that comes out of my mouth. It's the preceding word of God that he needs 
us to listen to so that when he takes us beyond those places, we're able to say, yes, Lord, I will trust you 100% with what I have in my life. What happens is we turn waiting into wandering because we don't listen to him. And that's what happened to those guys as they wandered for 40 years. Step one, you have to acknowledge that the lamb has purchased your freedom. Step two, your past is buried when you choose to walk through baptism. As he leads us into the wilderness, we come to point three. Don't grumble, stay humble. Real simple. Amen? Don't grumble. Don't curse your wilderness. Don't say, well, God, I'm not seeing you walk in my life. It's just a dry season. Keep walking. Keep walking. Stay humble. Allow him to speak to you. He's just testing you. He's taking you through this process so that he can give you what he wants to give you in your life, to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. We see that Moses, it's a different story of itself. He is not allowed to go into the promised land of Canaan because of some disobedience that he had, and I don't understand all that, but that's okay. But we know that Joshua now comes on the scene. He's a young warrior here that the Lord has chosen to take Moses' place, and as they have finished out these 40 years, they're ready to go and possess the promised land. These, these generations heard stories, perhaps they were little kids at times, just a few of them, about the Red Sea and about slavery. That, that was all new to them. These, there's literally kids that have grown up in the wilderness. That's all they knew. They're learning how to walk by what God says. And once God finally says, okay, you've been listening enough, this, look, this is what he says to Joshua in Joshua chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. The Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Verse 8, and as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. This same group of people, these Israelites, the ones that had heard about the Red Sea, all Moses had to do was stretch out a staff. One guy had to obey, and the whole country walked right through on dry ground. But now, listen to what he tells me. He says, take the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant. That represents his presence. Take the people with the presence of God, and now go stand with your feet in the Jordan River. Historians have, have, have proven that the Jordan River at that time would have been at flood stage. It's not something you want to cross. It is dangerous. It's dirty. It's not a good place to be. But he says, go and step. And the story in the scripture talks about that about 20 miles upstream, as they began to put their feet into the river at the town called Adam, it said that all the water stood up in a great heap. It wasn't like the Red Sea that parted. They heap over here. You have to imagine as these guys are doing that, as the water heaps, the remaining water is still flowing down. So these guys are looking. God, you said step out in faith. Boy, it sure doesn't look like anything's happening. But as they wait and as they're obedient to the word of God, the water becomes to dissipate. It lowers and lowers, and immediately after that, it becomes dry, and all of Israel, again, is allowed to walk across on dry ground. But he treats it so differently because they had to listen to what he was saying in order to make that happen. As they come up out of the rocks, they're out of, out of there, he asked them to grab rocks, and he said, hey, the, 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 the river was dry. It was at flood stage, but now it's dry. He said, take the priest, tell them to grab some stones and build a memorial he said, I want you to let your kids know one day for generations and generations after that what the Lord God has done here to this day. So I want to challenge you and let you know that when you choose to cross over the Jordan, when you have been obedient, it's not just for you. It's for the next generation and the one after that and the one after that, and it continues throughout all time. And he does that. He says to build a memorial, not so that they can know the steps that you have made, 
but so that they would know the faithfulness of your God. That's what he does as they cross the Jordan River. But what's fascinating is they have crossed over into the Jordan River after all these years. They stare and they look up, and there's Jericho right in front of them. You know, and it's, it's crazy to think what happens here is the way that they conquer their first town, Jericho. We know the story about the walls falling, but it's so absurd if we stop and think about it. He has this whole group of people that came out of Egypt ready for battle. Now they've just been wandering in the wilderness listening to words, and they're so obedient, they're so tuned in to what God says, that he said, hey, I just want you to march around just for seven days. Just march. That's all you got to do. No battle, no nothing. Just march. And on the seventh day, do it seven times and shout. And we know the story that the walls come down, and it's just its ridiculous that that's what he said to make it happen. But that's what he did, right? He said, just march. And they, they did exactly as he asked them to do. What I would say to that point is this. Don't let anybody on that side of the Jordan tell you what to do on this side of the Jordan. Because the people that are stuck over there, they don't understand the word of the Lord at all times. And that's not a diss towards those people. God has us all on a process, all on a journey. But you have to listen to the voice of the Lord when you have crossed over to the other side of the Jordan. You know, you can't defeat every town like you do Jericho. That's the, the problem we get into is we say, well, God defeated it this way one time, but that's not, you know, maybe he's going to do it the same way the next time. God never does the same thing twice. Not the same way with these guys because they look up and the next town is this small one called Ai. And Joshua said, just, just send a few guys up. They're, they're nothing. This will be easy. And so he sends some of his men up there and they get routed and they get chased back. And so Joshua has this moment in Joshua 7, in beginning of verse 7, he says, Alas, O Lord, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? We find Joshua just defeated Jericho, listening to the voice of the Lord. He has the same struggle. He said, man, why, why didn't you just leave us on the other side of the Jordan? You come over here, and we get routed by this little rinky-dink town called Ai after we just conquered Jericho. And what happens is they hadn't listened to his voice 100%. He told them, don't take any of the loot from Jericho. Don't keep any of the goods. And somebody in the camp took just a little bit, and it cost the entire nation. Whereas before, when you're in bondage, when you're in slavery, those things cost you. When you move and you step across into what he has called you to do into the Jericho, you have to be very, very careful because the word of the Lord is so real, and you have to be so sensitive to do everything that he has told you to do. Amen? So as Joshua is thinking about these things, and that he's, he's trying to figure out why, why did we get routed by this little group here, he remembers. I know he, he knew Moses, and he had to think back to something that God had told Moses, this promise that I believe Joshua held on to. In Exodus chapter 23 and verse number 22, it says, But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemy and an adversary to your adversaries. I have to question in my life, if you step across the Jordan and you see these battles in your life, it's not your past. Now it's these things that are in front of you. It's these new battles that we face each week, each month, each day, each year, whatever it may be in your life. And I, I think, you know, I, I deal with this issue in my life, and the next thing you know, something else pops up. You're like, what? I didn't know I had that issue in my life. Anybody ever been there before? You think you've conquered your biggest enemy, and the next one's sitting right there in front of you. Why is that the case? Joshua also remembers this, because in Exodus chapter 23, the same chapter, 
In verse number 29 and 30, it says, I will not drive them out before you in one year. He's speaking of the enemy there. He said, or else the land will become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased and possessed the land. God somehow in his infinite wisdom knows that if we try to tackle everything at one time in our lives, it would destroy us. The land would become desolate. We'd be overtaken. But he's so gentle and he's so wise that he says, I'm just going to do it little by little. So don't worry when you have crossed over into the Jordan that you keep coming up against new battles. He's wanting us to go and possess the land. So we see the four-step process quickly as we begin to wind down, that you have to acknowledge that the Lamb has purchased your freedom. You have to walk through baptism. You have to, in the wilderness, you got to make sure you don't grumble and you have to stay humble. And then step number four is simply you got to cross the Jordan and you've got to possess the land. The reason we want to get to that place is because that's where we live on the promises of God. We want to enter into a daily relationship with him that we're on the other side of the Jordan. We're able to listen to what he says when we're at a restaurant. He says, speak to this man, speak to this woman. Or if we're at the, the grocery store in line and he says, I just want you to encourage this person. We're able to listen to every word that he says. And we're able to live daily in his promises. Now, if we look at this story, we just see a four-step journey. Really, it just becomes my opinion on how I choose to read the Bible. But what I want to do to finish this up is I want to show you perhaps maybe this wasn't just a one-time thing written into the Scripture. I believe wholeheartedly that if I can't get a message or anybody for that matter back to Jesus, it's really all trash. It's really just an opinion. It's just religion. It's what I think is best that I want to explain. But if I can show that Jesus is woven inside of this Scripture... Just like that, it comes to life when we realize he's been trying to show us this pattern all along. So here's what we have. We look at the New Testament now, and we know about the story of John the Baptist. I want to bring to your understanding, bring to your attention. In John chapter 1, verse number 29, this is John the Baptist speaking. He says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, how can he say that when Jesus hasn't even gone to the cross yet? It's the same reason that we're allowed to look inside of the Old Testament and have that veil removed and see that when he applies the blood over the doorposts and they have partaken of the pure and spotless Lamb, that it's still the same Lamb. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And John recognizes this, and he acknowledges that it is the Lamb who will bring freedom. Well, we talked about it in the Old Testament that if the, the first step is to acknowledge that it's the lamb that purchases your freedom, what was step two? Baptism, right? Well, let's see. Matthew, beginning chapter 3, verse number 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. Hmm. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. I looked up that word righteousness, fascinating. It stands for the doctrine concerning the way in which man may attain a state approved of God. You're telling me that Jesus himself, as the lamb, had to be baptized? Well, was it to cut off the enemy in his life? I don't think so. But he understood that this whole time in the Old Testament, 
that it was a pattern, it was a type of what he would go through one day, what you and I would go through. So he said, hey, I am the lamb. John has recognized me 100%, but I have to be baptized. I have to stick true to the pattern that the Lord has established so that I may dwell and do the things that I've been called to do here on this earth. Well, if, if the pattern holds true, if we recognize who the lamb is, we understand that he has purchased our freedom, and then we choose to walk through baptism, what was the third step? Come on, somebody, what is it? He takes us into the wilderness, right? Look at this. In Mark chapter 1, beginning in 9, it talks about how Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee to be baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Look at verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. So far, it's holding true. You think he'll come through on step four? About to find out. My question to you, though, is why did he take us into the wilderness? Somebody call it out. Come on. Why does he take us into the wilderness? Test us. What else? He wants to see if we'll obey his commandments, right? To see if we'll walk by every word that comes out of his mouth. Look what happens as he goes into the wilderness. We know this story that the devil tempts him, but listen to what he says, profound. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. He's telling him this in the wilderness. Look at verse 4, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That's why he took him into the wilderness. He wanted to see if he would walk by everything that he told him. It's a fascinating parallel coincidence. Heck no, that's the way that he has established the Old Testament to be a picture, a shadow, a type of how he deals not only with you, but what he came to do. So as we see it, we see that the, the lamb is acknowledged. He walked through baptism. He is humbled. He is tested for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, then what would step four be in our process? What was our process? What, the, what did the children of Israel do on step four? Come on, somebody wrote it down. He got across the Jordan. Well, whoa, hold on a minute. What did we just read in Mark 1, verse 9? In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the what? In the, jo the same Jordan River. He comes from Galilee to Jordan to be baptized, right? He goes out into the wilderness. In order to get back to Galilee, what does he have to do? He's got to cross the Jordan. He's got to go through the same process. But why would he have him do that? So that he could finish out and fulfill the call that God has placed on his life. Look what it says in Luke 4, beginning in verse 14. It says, And Jesus returned, and the power of the Spirit, they're talking about after the wilderness, to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all, and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, verse 17, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Isaiah came and he prophesied about all that Jesus would do. He basically foretold his destiny, what Jesus was on the earth for. 
It says he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it is written. This is from Isaiah 61. We find it in Luke 4, verse 18. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He is literally spelling out what God has called him to do. Look what it says in verse number 20. He rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down and all the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. Verse 21, and began to say to them, today, not 30 days ago in the wilderness, not when I was a young boy, not when I was age 12, I had to go through this process. You had to recognize me as the lamb. I had to be baptized. It wasn't that day. Wasn't here in the wilderness, but when I crossed the Jordan and I'm listening to everything they said, he said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He has walked through the same four steps as he led the children of Israel, and he is asking you and I today, where are you on this journey? Amen. If you would, go ahead and stand, band, if you'll make your way up here. If you're one of our life group leaders and you're here, if you want to go ahead and make your way down, just spread across the front here. You know, I'm glad that as I look at the Old Testament and we see the veil being removed from our eyes, that it's in Christ that we have that, that we have access to Jesus. I'm glad that I understand now better this four-step process. But I, I just had this thought. I, I wonder, was that really just signifying Jesus and what he was doing was like was it just kind of like a metaphor or a process that only he would go through and maybe that's really not for us and I, and I struggled with that question and it's so like God to wait till the last minute to reveal kind of the final punch that says hey I'm on board with this whole thing right here look what it says in one of the most famous chapters one of the most famous verses that we read especially here at Antioch the Great Commission Matthew chapter 28, verse number 18 through 20. It says, Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Look at this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. How are you going to teach somebody to become a disciple without them understanding that it is the blood of the Lamb that has purchased their freedom, right? You can't be a follower of Christ if you haven't received him into your life, it's impossible. I can't say, well, I like that guy. I want to be his disciple. No, you have to understand what he has done, that he has purchased the freedom. Look at this. After we have done that, he says, baptize them. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Well, if it holds true, we acknowledge the Lamb where his disciple, he baptizes us. Does he not take us in the wilderness to see if we'll obey his commandments? Look what it says. Same thing and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. There it is in the Great Commission, the same process. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's comforting, because when you cross that Jordan, man, it's the real deal. It ain't no joke. You need him with you the whole time. So my question to you today is, where is God highlighting for you that he has placed you on this journey? It's more of a teaching today. I'm, there might be a response. I'll leave that up to him but I just have to ask these four sets of people, are you somebody today that needs to recognize the blood of the lamb? And you have to receive the first step, the redemption 
the salvation. You may have just wandered in here today and you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about, but this Jesus guy seems pretty amazing. He has come to give you life that the enemy is trying to steal from you. But you can't do it any other way. The Bible says that the only way to get to the Father is through Jesus. You have to recognize that he came and he paid the price for you, that he died a brutal death on a cross. The blood of the lamb was poured out for you for the, the remission of your sins. He has bought and purchased your redemption just like he did the children of Israel, just like he has done for me. Or perhaps you've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb and you're like, man, my past is just killing me right now. It's coming after me with everything that it has in full force. It's not what's in front, it's what's behind that's getting to me. My question to you is, do you need to be baptized? We have a beautiful opportunity, April the 15th, two weeks after Easter, after we get to promote the blood of Jesus and talk about what he has done. We're going to have Baptism Sunday here. It's an amazing event. It's not just you saying, I profess Jesus, saying, I want the enemy cut off of my life and I want him gone forever. Does that mean you don't face enemies in, in, in the promised land? No, but it never mentions Pharaoh or the Egyptians being a bother ever again. Gosh, wouldn't that be wonderful? We walked through that. I think a large portion of you today, I don't say this in a mean way, I think you're struggling inside of your wilderness. You're going through this dry place and you're wondering, why do I feel like I'm just circling the mountain? These guys asked all the same question. We could take months and talk about it. But he boiled it all down. He said, I just want to humble you. I want to test you and see if you'll walk by every word that comes out of my mouth. Or maybe he's calling you to cross the Jordan River today, to step out in faith, to do something that he has asked you to do. He wants to take you into the promised land. It's our hearts. It's how he's trying to conform us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Maybe that's you today. You're like, man, I've just been so scared. And God's like, today is the day to put your feet in the water. You won't see the immediacy of it tomorrow. It might take some time for those waters to dissipate. But man, the generational effect that you'll have on your kids and on your grandkids by simply saying yes to him today, to take that step of faith. If that's any one of those four things, I want to pray in just a moment. If you just want to come up here and just receive prayer to say, hey, I need some encouragement. Here's where I am in my life. I just want somebody to come alongside of me and pray with me. We would love to do that. It's however the Lord leads. It doesn't matter to me. It's all on him. So bow with me as we pray. Jesus, I thank you, first off, that you're so real and that this isn't some made-up story, but it's a fascinating picture of how you unlock this, the scriptures, the old, the new, and you have come not only to buy back and repurchase our lives with your blood, but you have come so we can be baptized into you. It, your word says if we are baptized with Christ in his death, then we are raised to newness of life. Lord, I pray that you would put that on people's hearts today that have never received the baptism, the water baptism, Lord. And we know that your word also that you baptize with fire. You come and you clean us out. It's not this ritualistic thing, but it's there to help. It's there to assist us on our journey. For those in the wilderness, Lord, I pray that they would not grumble anymore, that you would take the complaining spirit out of them, remove it and just say, God, I want to be humbled. I'm tired of wandering. What are you calling me to do? And Lord, I just ask for great faith. Lord, you have even prayed for our faith. You prayed for Peter's. You pray for ours. I ask, Lord, that you would intercede right now to the Father and give these men and women and children faith to cross the Jordan, to step into everything that you have asked them to step into. We acknowledge that all of this is from you. You did it all. You paid it all. And there's no other God we would serve than the Lord Jesus Christ. We love you and we honor you and we bless you in Jesus' name.